thank you for tuning in. This is the Emerging Markets Enthusiast Podcast, and I'm Patrick Alex, your host. On the show, we will be exploring the still and the leverage opportunities of entrepreneurship in emerging markets. We will be talking to founders, venture capitalists, ecosystem builders, and policymakers. I hope you enjoy the session, and let's dive right in. Hi, everybody. This is Patrick Alex from the Emerging Markets Enthusiast Podcast, and we are live back with another episode. This time, I've got the great pleasure having Rene, who is an operating partner at 500 Startups based out of Mexico City, if I'm not mistaken. It's such a pleasure having you on the show, Rene, to talk about the LATAM ecosystem, your journey over into the world of entrepreneurship and 500 startups, and uh, what is next for the ecosystem and, and your perspective. So really great having you on the show. Hey, Patrick. Thank you so much for the invite. I'm pretty happy to be here. I'm always excited about sharing what we do and, and talking with people like you. So definitely happy to share a little bit of our experience with your audience. Fantastic. That's perfect. And uh, I was wondering before diving in, as we're still in this COVID bubble, right? Uh, where are you actually, actually dialing in from? I'm actually in Mexico City. I I've been living here for eight years. Because of COVID, actually, I haven't been moving anywhere around. So I decided to stay in Mexico City. Sounds good. No, and definitely one of the leading ecosystems in the region. Very dynamic city, loads of stuff going on. And uh, definitely in the podcast, we're going to talk a bit more about the ecosystem in Mexico City, which I feel is definitely on, on the rise and loads of great stuff happening there, especially. But before coming to that, I was wondering, how did you actually make your way into the world of startups, entrepreneurship and, and venture capital? How did it come in, into being? Wow, actually... My first experience with venture capital is actually with 500. I've been part of this team for a little over eight years. I like saying this. I'm still young. <laughs> not, not, not as young as, as when I started. But right now, I'm 32 years old. And I've been part of this team for a little over eight years. So basically, I've been building my career in venture capital with 500 startups my journey actually began in another city. I, I grew up in Merida, which for people that probably do, doesn't know uh, where is Merida, it's a three-hour drive from Cancun. I'm pretty sure everyone knows where is Cancun. And I grew up there. I actually studied software engineering. And while I was going through university, somehow I started working on that area and I wasn't feeling it. Uh, at that time, it wasn't that obvious, but I started trying to be part of my, my community in Merida and start promoting entrepreneurship within building community in my city. And that's when I realized that I was pretty much happier doing that than my current job, which was in software engineering. I started uh, doing events. I started doing conferences in, in the smaller scale than Mexico City because Merida is not Mexico City. I want to be clear on that. But I was, I was doing that on my free time with no payment. And somehow it, it was much exciting for me doing that, being a software engineer. At some point, I started doing a Startup Weekend. It's a pretty popular event. And I got really involved with that community at, uh, at the very beginning of that community in Mexico. I ended up getting invited 
to a retreat with all of the organizers in Mexico for a startup weekend. And that's when I met Santiago. Today, he is my partner. And he was the one that a few months later invited me to move to Mexico City and start working with him and 500 startups. That's back in 2013. So I think life has been good with me. Since I came here, I actually came with no expectations. I didn't know what, what to expect. And, and I actually didn't know if I was going to enjoy Mexico City. I come from a very nice city, very safe city as well. And Mexico City is all the way around. And I ended up loving Mexico City. I ended up loving being part of 500 Startups, helping in a way that I actually never imagined that, that I was going to be able to help a startup company. Sounds like a really fascinating journey. And it's interesting uh, talking to different investors, entrepreneurs that uh, have made their way into the world of entrepreneurship and adventure, right? How many different paths actually then ultimately lead you into the world of entrepreneurship. It's, it's very much an eclectic group, I feel, uh, especially in emerging markets that made their way over it from all different kinds of backgrounds and also kind of reflects the diversity we have in the ecosystem. Right. For sure. And, and, and I think when, when I say life has been good with me, it's because I think with, without the background at that moment, it sounds like it's not that much time, but it's a long time ago. There was a huge opportunity because there was not much going on around this industry. If you wanted to try, you will find a way to try it. Probably today, there are so many things going on that in order to get a job, like the way I did back in 2013, I will probably need a, a background to get the job that I got eight years ago. Startup ecosystem in LATAM has, has changed quite a lot, uh, even in, from year to year. It's entirely different and crazy, the speed we are moving at. And uh, already going off script here, but I wanted to ask you, given your background as a software engineer, sometimes we have obviously founders that do not have a technology background, right? But they have to lead technical teams and know how to evaluate them and make sure that technology products are developed accordingly. What is your take on non-technical founders that do not have a programming background and that then ultimately have to lead maybe tech teams and not understanding necessarily too much about it, how long it takes to develop a certain product or a certain feature. What advice would you give to those founders to manage those teams? They have to find someone that actually understands that. And either it's your co-founder and if you are not if you're not able to find a co-founder with this background, I'm pretty sure that you will be able to find either an advisor or a potential early hire where the, with the background of understanding technical stuff for your company. I think it's pretty difficult to, as a founder and as a CEO, to develop all of the skills that the company actually needs. The tech side, it's a huge one. I don't think the CEO needs to be the one leading that. If it happens that you don't have either of the options that I just mentioned, I've seen founders doing that. Today, it's pretty much easier than before because there's so many things out there that you can use, such as non-code and, and other things that you can start building a company without a technical background and actually without a tech team. But I think it's a good opportunity to start a company today without that. The question is, is that interesting for a venture capital fund, for your users, for probably yes, 
is it, it, the other question is can you scale with that i don't know some people will find a way to do it some people don't makes all the sense coming a little bit over to to the ecosystem in latam as we already mentioned right it is really changing at rapid speed and what i wanted to tap into your eight year long experience there of seeing it grow from the outset and how, how it changed and where we are today what's your analysis on the state of the latam ecosystem the positive aspects but also the negative ones the positive ones there's so many things that i can answer to that it's probably the most exciting time that we've seen in our industry today and it's funny to say that but I, because if you asked me that same question a year ago i will answer the same and if you ask me that question again in one year i most probably will answer the same why because our ecosystem and our region is growing there's It's pretty difficult when you are in the stage that is our region. It's pretty difficult to go backwards. There's so many things that we're missing yet. There's so many things going on right now. There's so many things that are building in the ecosystem. I'm pretty sure that we will be able to to say the same answer to this question next year and probably within the next 10 years. Right now is the most exciting times for venture capital, for entrepreneurs and and for our region. Uh, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's truly fascinating times. We're seeing finally the interest of global investors, US investors coming in. Uh, they've sort of tested the waters a couple of years back in certain specific deals, very later stage, but now we get them moving in into the early stages of financing. Rounds getting more competitive. Valuations are picking up, which is obviously great for the entrepreneurs that they can capture more value and uh, retain their equity or, or towards longer stages. We see really a speed and time to exit ki kicking off. If we look at comparing the time it took Outho to have their exit versus Mercado Libre, right? Uh, it's it's very impressive how that has accelerated. And what's your your take on maybe the negative factors there? Would you say that the market is potentially overheating? Do you see certain certain other factors coming in that um, maybe some ecosystems such as Sao Paulo with fintech valuations that are really through the roof versus other more nascent ecosystems that are not as competitive? How do you feel about those dynamics? Because We know Silicon Valley and uh, the, the defects Silicon Valley has, of course, but it's difficult to change those because we are we're way back. We would have to go decades back in order to fix them, right? But in Latam, we are still there in, in order to avoid these adverse effects. So what's your take on, on possibly some of the downsides we have there or anything you think we should be aware of? That's a great question. And I don't know if I have the answer. But I can tell you what comes top of my mind when I when I hear your question. The first thing is that the dynamics that we're looking at right now are not necessarily negative in, in terms of probably high valuations and stuff like that. If you look into Silicon Valley, there's a ton of companies raising that amount of capital at that valuations, and that has been happening for a while. And and probably the way to look into this is that if you hear a company raising $15 million, $30 million, or whatever is the number, that doesn't mean that the company is going to be successful yet. That's That means that there's a ton of work to do, and they do have cash in the bank, probably make it happen or not. But I have a friend, for example, that he actually worked with us probably two years ago. His name is Juan Dulanto, and he was the founder. At, it was Laundry on Demand, and he ended up raising $17 million dollars and the company didn't succeed. And he actually has a talk 
that he shares with other entrepreneurs that it's called 17 million to fail. And I love that story and how he's so humble to, to share his story because it's true. It doesn't mean that having 17 million or whatever is the number again, you're going to be successful. And I, I don't know if Latin America is ready for that. I think people is getting very excited about hearing these kind of stories. People is getting very excited when they hear this company and that company and the other companies raising this amount of money. And some of them might not succeed. And people probably will take that as bad signaling. And it's not. It's just how business works. Not because you're raising a huge amount of money, you will be successful. So I think we have to be ready for that. But, but again, I don't know if this is something negative. It's just part of the dynamics. But do you think we could sustain, let's assume we're going to have some kind of dot-com bubble in LATAM. Do you think the ecosystem could take it? Is it robust enough to have a crisis of confidence like that? If I thought otherwise, I wouldn't be doing this, Patrick. And definitely Latin Americans, not, not only in our ecosystem, it, it, is, it, it will apply for most of our people in LATAM. We are resilient. People in Latin America has gone through so many things in economics, politics, and so many things in the, in the past years. We, we are ready for the challenge. Even the pandemic, it's a good example of that. I've seen founders in the highly impacted industries going through that, surviving to that, pivoting, or even making the way out of this. It will affect some, yes. It will break the industry. I don't think so. Absolutely. That's so true. And uh, entrepreneurs in LATAM are just intrinsically resourceful and resilient against adversity. Just the Argentina ecosystem is one example that has flourished, you know, against so much adversity. It's insane. And, and the businesses they've built. So yeah, we can be, I think, really, really bullish on that and, and have the confidence that the LATAM entrepreneurs are really up for volatility because they've, they've grown within it, right? They're, they're, they were born in it. Yes. And just going back to the original question, if this is exciting times or not, just look into the news of this week, just this week. And you have Kasek announcing two different funds together a billion dollars. Go and look into the news of yesterday or Tuesday or whatever the day is, and you, you will find companies raising $30 million, $60 million just in one week. If we go back Eight years ago, when, when I was just getting into this industry, you will never hear that in months. And, and this is just happening in a week. It's crazy. And that's validation of not only that Latin America, it's a hot market right now. It's validation that there is a huge opportunity in our region. That is so true. And if, if you hear those amounts and you're not from LATAM, you would be saying, oh, that's crazy. And we're coming from Europe. If you compare it to a European ecosystem, for instance, yeah, when I look at the fund sizes, when I look at the deals there, it's exactly the same we have in LATAM. And LATAM, I think it's even overtaking Europe in that. So uh, think about that. Who, who would have thought? And I think other countries, other regions are going to be quite surprised what LATAM has to offer. So yeah, really fascinating. And you've obviously been on that journey for, for quite some time. And when you were starting out with Santiago, building a 500 startups in Mexico uh, certainly was different on the ground. And I was wondering how has 500 startups evolved and adjusted to that change in the ecosystem? How did your cohorts change? How did the acceleration phase potentially change the startups you are accompanying? Because the entrepreneurs certainly are way more savvy than they used to be a couple of years back. Yes, 
we've been fortunate enough to been doing this for a while. And that gives us a ton of experience. And that experience is something sometimes good, sometimes bad experiences, but we always learn from each one of them. We've been growing as well as a team with the ecosystem. That's something that I think it's important on how we adapt and how we add value to not only the ecosystem, but also to our portfolio companies. The other thing is that we've been known for a while for our acceleration program. And one thing that probably no one knows or few people know is that we change that program every single time. We are, as a team, huge fans of feedback. We love feedback. And with that, we also love measuring everything. We've been measuring and taking feedback every single time. We analyze on that and we iterate on that. We are always changing. And I think that's key for us, not only to be a better fund tomorrow, but also to be relevant to other founders when they think of fundraising. We want them to come to us. We want people to know that we are always thinking on how we can be the best partner that they could ever have. And we try hard on that. And in terms of that iteration, how does it actually work given that 500 startups is very much globally distributed, right? You've got, I don't know how many hubs all over the globe. How does it actually work? Do you, do you operate relatively autonomously each market and with the local team, obviously? But is there an overarching collaboration where you then incorporate best practices and do you have sort of a holding structure in that regard? Or, or how does it actually work behind the scenes there? It's actually like that. We act as a one whole company. Our headquarters are based in the United States. And that's a pretty common question. Sometimes people will think that we're a franchise and we're not. We're just one single company. Every office or team that you will find around the world, it's going after a specific market. In our case, Spanish speaking Latin America. The team based now that we are all in Mexico City, we are a team of nine. We go after this market. We invest. Where we are the team out of 500 that invest in Spanish-speaking Latin America. That's how we focus our energy. Our team in the United States will do the same for the for, for the global markets where either it's United States or other countries where we don't have a team present. As you mentioned, we have different teams. We have one in Vietnam. We have one in Southeast Asia, in, and we also are running different programs around the world. The main difference is that one. We focus in a region. And second, we don't need to be a huge team in order to do that because we have the support of our headquarters. So for example, I don't have a finance or legal team in Mexico. We just have it on our headquarters and we use that, let's call it a service. So we don't have to, to allocate a budget in Latin America. For them. A very interesting also component to other accelerators now and there's one big name obviously recently on, on the list that is moving into emerging ecosystems which is YC. One could say from our, your viewpoint they're coming a, bit, a little bit late to the game they do not have that regional footprint proximity directly boots on the ground as 500 startup has uh, but what's, what's your take on that 
new dynamic of YC now coming in and it, making quite some noise, one has to say, in, in LATAM especially. And it's certainly a good badge for founders uh, having gone through the YC program. What's your perspective on that? Maybe you've got some internal uh, banter around that, I could suppose, uh, because I mean, you've been building LATAM for the last eight years. <laughs> Another great question, Patrick. Actually, YC, it's another player. And of course, this question comes because people know somehow that we will compete with each other, right? We, we do the same and founders sometimes will need to choose either should I apply to YC, should I apply, apply to 500, or should I apply to some other program or fund, right? For us, it's amazing news. Honestly, our region needs way more players than just a few. These are great news for the ecosystem. These are great news for founders. Founders need options. Just as an example, last, last applications for our program, we got over 2,000 applications and we can only take 10 companies. There's at least over 1,900 of them getting rejected by, by us. That's why we need options. If we were able to, to fund more companies, we would. That's why I think those are great news for the ecosystem. We need way more players than that. And the other thing is that some people might think that, as again, we compete and we do, but we also can collaborate together. There's plenty of our companies that came already to our program that are actually going through YC right now. And that's good as well. These are great news. I think again, that founders need options in few which are the ones that they have right now and i'm not saying that there's only yc and 500 there's plenty of them but again there it's only few we need way more more than that patrick so the ecosystem is certainly large enough to have multiple players at endeavor we focus on on scale-ups uh, in the later stages maybe there should be more organizations potentially competing with us and i was wondering also talking a bit more about entrepreneurs and deal flow and diversity certainly has been a major factor as in any ecosystem how do you see it at 500 startups how can we push for more diversity of different backgrounds of founders talent how can we sure that we could better identify those diverse talents for there are certain things certain patterns and we use in order to identify and that communicate a certain value or a certain professionalism of the entrepreneur which are certain badges that's why obviously mba programs of certain universities are popular amongst founders how do you do you feel about that diversity is something that we take very seriously patrick and we've been taking this as a main topic in 500 for a while probably since our beginning one thing that i want to mention is that probably because you have a worldwide audience, probably not only in Latin America, it's worth mentioning that diversity has different definition depending where you ask. If you ask about diversity in the US and you compare it with, with just Mexico, I would say that it's different. In Latin America today, a huge part of that diversity and huge part of the focus that we should be having, it's around female founders and how can we bring that topic into tech and we have more women not only being part of the companies but having same opportunities same salaries and that's a huge topic in latin america probably in the rest of the world as well but that's a huge one in latin america so when we think of 
what we can do around that. And, and not only talking about female founders, but there's other things that we can tackle about diversity. We do think on how we can do it in every single thing that we do. First of all, within the team of 500, our CEO, it's a woman, she's Christine Sai. So that's, that's, that's something that is very important for us to mention as well. 50% of our team are females. That's also important. And every time that we hire, for example, we take that in consideration. In terms of other topics, you just mentioned that probably when we talk about opportunities and mainly education, it's another huge one in Latin America. And how can we take that in consideration? We think inside 500 that a talented entrepreneur doesn't have a checklist or doesn't have an, a specific background. We do believe that there's talented entrepreneurs around the world and that doesn't have a name, a background, a race, color, or sex. And we truly believe that. And when we go after applications, for example, for our program, as I mentioned, we go over thousands of applications. We never take that in consideration. We're just looking into great teams. And when we define great teams, again, it's not because of their background. It's because how they can show that they can execute. That's how we define good teams. And when we think of how do you bring balance to the equation of, of your selection process, we do try things to have this topic in mind. We run events for female founders. We go and run Facebook ads when we have uh, applications in the countries that we have never invested, such as El Salvador or Guatemala. And we keep pushing on that side. What I do know is that even though that we might think that we're doing a good job on that side, there's a ton of things that we can do better or change. And, and that's why having that topic in, in mind is important for us as a team. One has to be definitely cognizant about that and, and structure your team internally in terms of diversity makes all the sense. That definitely helps to avoid those uh, constitutional biases when selecting entrepreneurs. Do you feel there's any other tips you would have for fund managers that have a bit of that diversity challenge if we look at capital investor for instance while well, still proportionally go into certain groups of entrepreneurs in certain profiles uh, globally that's globally it's a big topic and if you've got uh, a certain team internally on your fund well your network has a certain background and they recommend certain people of a certain background and it goes further, right? So it's really difficult to fight against those biases because biases also help us obviously to reduce risk and, and profile people. It's, it's very human and very natural, but how do you think can we sort of circumvent that a bit and, and fight against human nature maybe in that sense? If I knew, we would be probably doing it. <laughs> so, but what I think is that trying to build processes in your, in your fund or in your company that avoids that biases are important. Start looking into deal flow everywhere, not just in your close network. Most probably opening your doors to everyone is having a process in place where you can actually go through that deal flow. It's important. Again, I don't think we do the best job, but I think we do something around that. And our applications might be doing a bit of that. And we try to find great teams without that bias. And sometimes we even think on 
how can we add more filters to avoid bias? And it's hard. It's not an easy question to to answer because uh, as you just mentioned, it's it's just part of, of how we act as humans. One time I, I even suggested, what if if we don't ask names and and pictures and we don't ask LinkedIn and we, we still ask for that because at the end of the day, we need to know who we are talking to. Now, there's still lots of progress to, to be made and it, not, it doesn't only depend on 500 startups to do on that, but I, I feel being cognizant about that and also being cognizant of the opportunity, right? Because otherwise you would be just reducing your funnel and selecting out of only a few and ignoring the, the, the other talents that are out there that are maybe not seen, but have an equal high upside. And segueing with that over to, to my next question, which companies are you especially excited about currently in, in LATAM? It could be for your cohort could be uh, other companies also in any kind of industry so many patrick i'll answer on how they come to mind first one therapify therapify it's a company offering therapy online for the past year it has been more evident that taking care of your emotions and and mental health it's very very important and these guys are amazing we met them long time ago actually rejected rejected them three or four times for our program and we ended up investing them in october 2019. therapify is one example of a company that came through our program ended up raising capital then ended up going through yc ended up raising capital again i believe that they're in a in a rocket ship right now and i'm pretty excited about that company another one that i can talk about it's also in our portfolio which is platzi Let's see. I think it's a very well-known company. Freddy and Christian have done an amazing job building community and actually changing ed education for our region. There's, of course, in probably if you ask them, you will have the same answer. There's a ton of work that they have in front of them to actually make a huge impact on education. But when we talk about diversity, I can connect Platzi with this. With companies like Platzi, You don't need to go to Stanford to get the skills and the network and the ideas to build a great company. And the reason that I, I also love what they do is because they actually are changing not only the way their students work in other companies and increase their salaries, but they are also pushing them to build their own companies. And they're already doing uh, services for people starting companies out of their community of students. They run demo days, they run mentorship, they do a ton of things. And we have actually invested in companies coming from Platzi, which has nothing to do with the, the other background of, of the people that had other opportunities, right? And, and I think that's amazing. It's democratizing access to high impact tech entrepreneurship. Very exciting stuff. What sectors would you say are, are especially interesting in, in LATAM? Obviously, we talk always about fintech and, and there's loads of potential in fintech still on infrastructure side, of course, and B2B. What are maybe the other opportunities? Uh, you mentioned mental health, of course, as we're coming out of the pandemic. And there's certainly some great momentum in terms of tech adoption for a wider society. What trends do you see? Of course, as you just mentioned, fintech has been and will be very hard for a, a while, right? But to, to mention others, I think education, I just mentioned Platzi, but education it, as an industry, it's, it's one to, to look at because 
there's so many things to do on that side, not in, in for all ages, all stages of education. There's a ton of players going after education right now. Even companies such as Platzi that has been doing this for a while and other companies, very recent companies such as Topi, also in our portfolio, that are, are doing basically a very fast MBA with a lo way lower cost than an actual MBA. Education, it's one to look at. The other one, because of the pandemic, it's remote work and everything related with that. Coming from HR to perks for employees to office spaces. And a third one that might be related with that one, but not as close as the, as, as the examples that I just mentioned, it's hiring. Hiring is going to take a huge attention in Latin America for so many reasons. Because of remote work, it's already having that impact in US companies or other companies around the world, going after talented Latin Americans based in Latin America. And so they can offer amazing, amazing salaries and they don't need to move or relocate. So companies going after that will be solving a huge, huge opportunity that it's opening right now. And the other thing, it's also a huge talent for our region as well when we talk about hiring, because we already see companies such as Stripe, Airbnb, even Snapchat opening offices to recruit people in Mexico City. When you are a startup and you want to go after that same talent, it will be also a challenge to tackle in Latin America. Great points there. And and talking about uh, remote work also, I was wondering actually for 500, are you doing cohorts remotely currently? What's your take uh, post-pandemic? What things can be done remotely? What things should come back into in-person format? Because that's also a question we're asking ourselves at Endeavor because we are very much network focused and people focused just as 500 is and any other accelerator also, of course. So how did you approach this switch of operating actually? It has been eye-opening for us, the way that we've been able to work remotely with our companies and also us as a, as a team. When the pandemic started back in March, 2020, we were actually running a program at that moment in our office in Mexico City with companies from Peru, Argentina, Colombia, and Mexico at that moment. And we were about to finish that program. We were probably out in week 14 out of 16, very close to Demo Day, which we had to cancel because we used to run a event in a venue in Mexico City. That moment we had to do so many changes. Of course, the first one was going fully remote. At that moment, what we tried to do is to replicate exactly, or not exactly, almost exactly, what we used to do on-site, remotely. And we learned so many things. The first one is that we had just to take a step back and understand what it's not understand, remember what is actually our main business. And, and our main business is to be a venture capital fund. We need to make returns. We need to help companies to be successful in order for us to make that happen. And we can help doing that remotely. The difficult part was replicating the, the social component of that. What entrepreneurs really enjoyed 
when we shared the same office and the friendship and long relationships that you can build on site. But we decided at that moment that that was not going to be our main focus since we had to have a great performance on the first one, which is actually helping the companies. So that's how we ended up running our first 100% remote program. Then after that, we also decided to make a huge change. Out of all these learnings that we had, also we realized all the good things that come from running a remote program for Latin America. Let's don't forget that we are the office for Latin America, even though that we are based in Mexico City as a team, we go after Latin America. So in the past, we used to think that the only way that we could help our company, it was face-to-face. That ended up making people from Argentina to relocate to Mexico City for four months. And that has costs, that has distractions that will make you probably go away and well far away from your team members or even your family now that we realize that we can actually help our companies remotely and we we already ran two different programs this way i don't think we will ever go back to face to face there's so many good things of running this remotely that we can be better at helping our companies no matter if you are in cordoba argentina or if you are in medellin or even in Mexico City as, this, uh, as us. That's why I say it's eye-opening because we worked for seven years thinking that it was impossible doing that. We were forced to do it and prove ourselves wrong. What we ended up doing is the last change that we announced back in November that we are not running an acceleration program anymore. What we are running, it's our own thing that we called Somos Lucha. And Somos Lucha It's not an acceleration program because it doesn't have a curriculum as we used to have in the acceleration program. Instead of building something that works for everyone, we go on and understand individually each company and we build something only for them and we work closely with them. It's a huge change. I think we have a ton of work to communicate that in in the right way so people start knowing 500 because of somewhat lucha and right now if you go and ask a lot of people in our ecosystem they will refer to us as the acceleration program which we are not that anymore and i know that's a challenge that we need to face and and we will keep pushing that message that we are somos lucha and somos lucha it's very different we focus on helping each company based on what they need as one company, not as a group. Fantastic. I really like that message. And uh, Somos Lucha, I think, really reflects that spirit of uh, we are fighting in this together. We are on your side, We're accompanying the entrepreneur on that on that journey, right? And uh, that makes just all the sense for the maturity of the ecosystem we have now. We, you just need more tailored and customized programs, even at the acceleration stage and not being accelerated anymore. So it's, it's a good point. Makes makes all the sense. Moving into the last segment, actually, which are... Uh, Three fast speed questions I'm asking everybody on the podcast. Are you ready for those three questions? Ready. Fantastic. Awesome. So starting with the first one then, uh, who is an uh, entrepreneur you admire and why? How many can I answer, Patrick? Well, that's the thing. Yeah, usually it should be one. I know it's tough in in your position. No, I'm I'm just asking not because it, it might get me in troubles. 
it's because I actually admire a ton of entrepreneurs. But the one that comes top of my mind is Ricardo Weather, the founder of Justo, the supermarket in Mexico City. He recently announced the biggest Series A in Latin America, which was $65 million. And I'm not, I'm not admiring him because of that. I actually admire him because he has proven to be a humble entrepreneur. And it's amazing how a founder that it's building a so operational business, it's always willing to help and it's super responsive. I'm always amazed on when I text him on WhatsApp, he will reply within five minutes. And it's like, wow, this guy is running an amazing company with huge operations, a huge team now. And I don't know how he makes that happen, but he's responsive and he's humble. And I honestly admire that of him. Uh, great example there. Moving into the sec second question, this one is a bit more philosophical, but uh, in, in one phrase, what is the best piece of advice you have ever received? That I have to always ask, and most probably the answer is going to be yes. Great, very positive, optimistic spirit there. Awesome. And the last one, three key words in your opinion that describe a successful business. Great founders, product market fit, and great company culture. Awesome, definitely three integral parts for, for any successful business. So yeah, then we would be at the end of, of the session. It was a great pleasure having you on, René. Is there anything else you would like to share with the audience before we wrap up? Uh, right now we have applications open. So if you are in Latin America and you're a founder, I would definitely love to hear about your company. So come apply, uh, tell us about your company. We would be very happy to learn about what you are doing in Latin America and you can apply in aplica.500.co. Fantastico. Thanks so much, René. It was a great pleasure having you on the show. Thanks, Patrick.